2: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with the regulars, me, Russell Guyver, with Peter Marsh and with Andy Bravery back with us as well. Hello to to you guys. How are you doing? Good,
1: thanks. Yeah, you?
2: Excellent. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Finally finally
1: recovered from Monday.
2: Oh, no, I was hoping you were (laughs) going to mention that again. (laughs) Nothing happened on Monday. Nothing at all. That's a problem. Uh, Yeah, the Palace game. Um, but we are—we three are actually four because we have a very special guest with us tonight as well, making his debut on the podcast. It's a man who I grew up watching. Um, he's a star of, well, from 83 to 91 with the Albion. Um, he's a man many people will be familiar with. His name is Steve Penny. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the podcast.
4: Hello, Russell. Hello, guys. Nice to meet you.
2: Oh, yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. It's an ab- absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, you are, I know we're going to trace out the old uh, overused cliche, but you really are a legend of the club, at least in my eyes. I think, um, you, you just, uh, you were with us for a long time, number of games. I think you played something like about 140 games for us, didn't you? Popped in with a few goals as well. And, um, and an eight year stint, you know, that's, uh, that's no mean feat. So, um, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Um, wh- what we wanted to talk about really was, uh, was just through your, um, your career, um, and maybe maybe some other questions besides will come in as well. But just to start off with, can you tell us where it all began? Because you are uh, from Northern Ireland, Ballymena. Uh, I think you were born and brought up there, weren't you? And, uh, and played for them as well, Ballymena United. Is that right?
4: I did indeed, yeah. But my most of my soccer started off, obviously, primary school. Then I played a lot in the boys' brigade, which was very competitive. Um, I went to a grammar school, so that was mainly rugby. So for... For a few years, I played rugby. Although, as I say, I still played the football with uh, uh, with the boys' brigade. So, when I got to about sixteen, I had to make the decision between playing rugby and playing soccer. So, I decided. I, I, I mean, I like both games, but I preferred the football. So, I signed for Balmain United, and uh, I suppose from about sixteen on, I played for the reserves and then the first team up until I came over to Brighton. So. I was glad. I mean, I did. I did like the rugby. All my friends played the rugby, but uh, I. I still preferred the soccer, to be honest.
2: Yeah, and doing the research, I, I read up that you uh, you'd been in rugby as well. I was, I, was, um, I didn't realize that. It's interesting. Yeah. It's. Um, I, was a, I,
4: I, was a, I was a small scrum half. I mean, I, I, <laughs> had, I had so many injuries in football. God knows how many I would have had if I'd played rugby. <laughs> <laughs> It <laughs> uh,
2: could have been off the scale, did not it?
4: It would have been. Yes, it would have been. You were saying how many matches I played for Brighton, but if I had stayed fit, I probably would have played two or three times as many, which was a big disappointment for myself. But, I mean, there's absolutely nothing you can do with injuries. And it just one mm. was on top of the other. So, uh, I mean, I look back now and I wish I could have played another probably couple of hundred games would have been, would have been nice, but uh, just unfortunately, I tried everything. Tried so many operations, and it just—I couldn't, I, I couldn't always get the, the, you know, the problem sorted out. To be honest.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a great shame. Um, Andy, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: Steve, I was, I, I was reading a little bit about that, and um, it it sounded from um, from what I was reading that actually, somewhere along the line. Some of the medical advice or treatment that you got wasn't wasn't what you really needed. You talked about going to Harley Street earlier, and I just wondered, you know.
4: Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, what happened yeah,
4: there? I mean, I don't want to mention any names, but uh, and I mean, I'm sure the gentleman is away. I mean, listen, I went to look, I went to local guys, and uh, I suppose that we persevered with them maybe for too long, and in the end, I went to Harley Street, and the problem was of, uh, it was a very small problem that was sorted out in the end, but I mean, a waste of eighteen months to 20 months of my, when I probably probably was at the peak of my career. And, uh, but, I mean, that that's just the way the guy was trying to help me. There was nothing, I mean, I have no real complaints. I mean, it's just, at the time, you just try to go to somebody and you, you go to whoever. But the, I think the club in the end decided to then send me up to Harley Street and that, and that's where the problem was diagnosed properly. Um, and, I've never had a problem with that knee since to this day. I mean, I, I, I finished with a, I finished uh, my career at Burnley with an Achilles tendon injury. That, I mean, I still have that problem today. I couldn't go running around which I would love to do. Um, but the knee, the, the, thing, the, the problem I had with the knee could have been resolved very, very easily. I think if I had, had the right diagnosis at the time, yeah. it, would, it would have allowed me to progress my career and to play a lot more games for Brighton at the time. But when you're going through all this, you just, I mean, it's difficult. It's, e- it's easier looking back on it and saying this is what should have happened. But everybody was trying their best at the time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just one of those things that is it? of that era, unfortunately. A lot advances exactly. sense, yeah. it's it's nowadays, just, uh, of advances have been made
4: since. Yeah. nowadays, reasons. you'd have been probably flown to the States or you would have been going somewhere and you're in back playing in about four weeks. You know, thats that's just the difference.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, Andy started off by he spoiled the podcast at the beginning by mentioning Paris. By the way, I I forgot to ask you, did you watch the game the other day? Uh,
4: yes, I watched bits of it and then I listened to the second half on the radio. Um, but I mean, how Brighton never at least got a point. I mean, I, I mean, I'm so disappointed they didn't get a point. They should have won the game, but to give away, a, I mean, to lose at the end was uh, was really really bad. It was poor. And that's happened a few times with Brighton this year. There's been a few things just at the last where they've maybe slipped up. After playing so well, after dominating the game. So, and especially against Palace, of course, you know. But uh, yeah,
2: yeah.
4: they're still playing, you know, they're still playing good football. Um, start of the season, when I watched them, I thought, there's no problem, Brighton will stay up this year. They were playing so well, but they weren't picking up the points. That was the worrying thing. They played Manchester United. I've never been as disappointed in the match played them off the park and give a goal away give, lost I think in about the seventh minute of extra time or injury time I mean that was soul destroying really I mean I think that's the worst I since I played football that's the worst I have felt to be honest watching a football match um, and then uh, and then there was a, there was a few matches there recently where they weren't particularly playing well and then recently they've picked up again. But that was a bad result because it stopped the um, it stopped the unbeaten run. They were going well there for four or five or six games, and it's just well we'll see how they go against West Brom on Saturday. But um, professionally, it was bad to lose that game and the last kick of the ball.
2: Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, even a draw, even the fans could, even like even a draw would have been tough on Brighton. But uh, anyway.
2: Please. Yeah, it's a, it's a gutter, and uh, we don't seem to have had a return on our luck either this season. That's the thing we've we've had some bad luck, but, and we've had some games we deserve to win, but we don't seem to have had any good luck where we've won games we don't deserve to. Not much anyway. Maybe, but, uh, yeah.
4: yeah. Well, maybe yeah. they'll come in the next, you know, in the last part of the season, possibly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we might uh, we might speak a bit more about that later on. But t- okay. just going back to your to your earlier days, then, yeah, um. So, so what what was it like growing up there? What kind of a place? Because I've I've not been to Northern Ireland at all, actually. Only to Dublin in in the south. But uh, tell us about Ballamina, particularly that era. How was it?
4: Ballamina was a is a lovely place to live. It's not really. I mean, I suppose in the eighties and that there, that was during the troubles. But we never saw too much of it in this area. So that was good growing up. Hmm. Um, Um. very, very competitive in sport, Very a good area for football, for golf, for a number of different uh, very, very competitive area in sporting. So, um, no, it was a nice place to grow up. And I, out of all the places I lived, I, I like Brighton. If I had to be anywhere else, but Ballymena, I would love to be living in Brighton. I, I like Brighton, to be honest. Um, but it's a nice home. I mean, Bre- Ballymena is home, so I always wanted to come back home. So I'm quite happy, yeah.
2: Yeah, and we're speaking to you from there um, tonight. Um, in fact, I say tonight, it's coming towards tonight because you've got the beautiful sunset we were talking about off air that's just gradually drifting out of view now. Uh, it's, uh, you're going to be in the dark soon, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I'll get the
4: lights yeah. shortly,
1: yeah.
2: But it, it does look gorgeous, I have to say. And um, Andy, would you agree? <laughs>
1: I definitely would. <laughs> I've also got a question.
2: I... Um,
1: Obviously, when you, you, you came over, um, Steve, you were about 19 years old, coming from Northern Ireland, That's with right. the, dip, I mean, or maybe not so much in Ballymena, but certainly in other parts of the, of the country, you know, a lot of difficulties at the time. Yes. And I, I wonder what that was like and how you settled in and whether there was anybody at Brighton that helped you to, to settle in and uh, find your way in the country.
4: Well, every, everybody was very good at the club, uh, but particularly Sammy Nelson, who was a Northern Irish fella, he was the coach at the time. And I remember Sammy picking me up and giving me a lot of good advice, and he did. And he looked after me. I think Sammy's probably still living in Brighton. Um, no, he was very, very helpful and kept me. Told me what to do and what not to do, really. Um, but everybody at the club was. I mean, every. I, I mean, I didn't find it. I just wanted to get away to get a, an opportunity to play an English League football. I mean, it, it didn't. Uh, it was a great opportunity for me, just because. Over here, I suppose it's not just as affluent areas in the southeast of England. So, the, uh, kind of, I suppose jobs and uh, stuff like that there. Uh, are, you're kind of limited over here. But um, um, uh, as I say, everybody. I mean, I mean, even the man, obviously Chris Catlin, who was very, very good to me as well. And I remember Ron Greenwood having a chat with me. He was a director at the time. It was very, very nice of him. Everybody made me feel, and they, and they put me in their lovely digs in, uh, in Shoreham, um, who was the daughter of, uh, uh, oh, I'm just get his name now. Uh, he was a big Brighton. He played for Brighton for a lot of years. He died there recently. I just um
2: Not Michael Robinson, i trying to think.
4: No, no. This is going back. No, no, this is going back. Anyway, we'll come back. to it. I'll think of the name in a minute. Uh, mm. So I just mean, I know him as well as uh, as anything. It's just uh, my mind's gone blank. But anyway, no, they, they looked after me very well when I went over. So no, I had no problems moving. I really enjoyed it.
2: Excellent. That's good.
1: Was and it, it John something, the guy? John, Shepherd. Shepherd. John
4: <laughs> Shepherd. Shepard. Shepard,
1: John Shepard. Shepard. I know him as Shep. Yeah, and you always yeah. knew him Cuz he was yeah. um he was quite involved with the the youth setup, wasn't he? Cuz I um yeah, that's right. He was, but he, for, he was for one for one reason or another, I actually played um a few games in the youth team in the 82 83 season at the end oh, of the right. season. So I knew John a little bit and Mickey Fogden was the other one I knew a bit. But yeah, yeah John Shepard had a long history with yeah. the club.
4: Yeah, he was a lovely guy and his daughter uh uh, Julie who um, who I stayed with were fantastic and her husband Chris at the time yeah yeah, really looked after made me feel welcome and and that's why I bet it in mean, because I kind of played in the team from the very first week to come over mm. I wasn't you know that's happened so quickly but uh John was always a nice man, and I think he had a lot to do with Southwick as well. Um, yeah,
1: that was that. So that was my connection. I was playing for the under sixteens at the time, oh. and um, they yeah. needed a couple of they needed a couple of. I mean, it, it sounds shocking now when you think about the way the academies are run, but they needed a couple of players that could come in and play every week, yes. who, who wouldn't let the side down, but clearly were not going to be professionals.
4: Ah. And that was me
1: basically. So uh, yeah, it was interesting. What uh, yeah. did
4: you play, Andy? Sorry. Which position did you play?
1: I was a right back.
4: Right back.
1: Yeah, so I was kind of like trying to run you wingers out the game. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah you you know. were, were kicking us, yeah.
1: <laughs> if right. I could catch you, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. When in the digs, I mean, it, these days that they, they, all the young lads, a lot of them seem to be put up in hotels. But to me, in some ways, what happened to you was probably more sensible because it gave you a little bit of a, a bit of security and a bit of guidance and and just someone just to help you keep an eye on you while. You know, in those early days while you're settling in.
4: That was great. Yeah, I mean, I think if you... I mean, I'm like, the game's different now. The guys are on lots and lots of money. And, I mean, they can stay in hotels and fancy places. But, I mean, I was just glad to have the company in the evening. I mean, I had my room in the digs. And I was able to come down and join in with the family. Um, and it was perfect for the first six or nine months uh, until I got a little flat Um yeah, that was perfect. It was a good start. And it, it, it made me focus just, I mean, it, it made me focus on the football, which was the main thing.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Um, one thing actually I think I picked up as well when I was reading was um, just before you came to Brighton, in fact, some time before, you'd had the chance to be an apprentice at Forest, I was reading. Is that right? But you t- turned it down, wanted to carry on with uh, college first. Was that right? Yeah,
4: That's right. I went. I used to go over every um, Christmas, Easter uh, Halloween holidays they would fly me over myself and another yeah. and another young fella funny I just I just checked on him there recently to see what he was doing he he actually signed for them and after about three months or something he got an awful injury and that just ruined his whole career he played some football back in Ireland but I always remember my father saying look there's lots of apprentices like maybe only one or two of them will turn professional you'd be better to concentrate on your studies and if you're good enough you'll eventually go over to England but at the time, I didn't. I didn't really see it like that. At the time, I, you know, I was mad keen because Forest at that time were European champions. Mm. Um, they were. I mean, Brian Clough. I, one of the times I was over, they. I think they played Ajax in the semi-final of the European Cup. So that was when they were really at the top. You know, they were really a top club then. But, uh, but no, all worked out. It all worked. I mean, I, I possibly could have went to Nottingham Forest and not been. Maybe not played as well and didn't get the breaks or whatever. So, you know, yeah. I just really? I accept things. The way things worked out, they worked out. I mean, I'm happy enough with everything. A lot, as I say, my disappointments were my injuries. But overall, in life, I've been fairly fortunate. So, uh, I've no, I've no real disappointments.
2: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, this this is something Peter. You probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't get this happening nowadays, but. Um, I was reading, um, the article on the club's website from last year. I think they did an interview with you, didn't they, Steve? And, um, um, it was, it was describing how it was a bit of a whirlwind when you came to the Albion. Um, again, i am Peter here, you, you, you don't read about these kind of stories now, but it, essentially from what you were saying, I think you came over, played a couple of reserve games, presumably as, as trials on the, was it the Tuesday and Thursday? Uh, yeah. And then the Friday you, signed and played on the Saturday or something like that that's
4: right. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, that's right, away to Barnsley it's amazing, I mean I come over and I train, I train very well Sammy Nelson put me straight in with the first team players and I did well so I played two, I said, play Tuesday night, Thursday night I definitely remember one of the games was away at Swindon, I can't remember who the other game was uh, signed on the Friday morning um, and then made my debut away to Barnsley on uh, Saturday yeah they'll beat 3-1 yeah. right enough but you guys yeah. you guys remember a lot more about these things than I do to be honest
2: <laughs> you remember
4: all the scores and the dates and everything it's amazing
2: some of us do I'm, I've actually got a terrible narrative memory for details I mean um, I think Peter remembers a lot of stuff don't you you're, you're pretty good with that kind of thing
3: but I think I'm much better at away games as well home ones can often like merge into each other especially yeah, if yeah, you play a yeah. team enough but I think away games more stand out more because no, yeah. obviously they're they're not all yeah. on the same ground and the same. Yeah, I've,
2: yeah, same I've just got a general, a general picture in my head of, sort of certain snatches of memory and moments. And and you're, you, you, in fact, your image, Steve, is one of it's quite an iconic nature. Um And it's it's going to put put back to Andy in a moment as well because when I was uh, talking to you, Andy, about coming on, you just said, "Oh, um." Well, mullets and jinking wing play come to mind yeah. and that's kind of the image i had <laughs> in my head as well <laughs> you know, i do um, i do remember that and,
1: yeah. yeah yeah i do remember that about you steve i mean i i was i was actually trying to work out in my head why was it that um i didn't have a lot more memories of you and then and then when i, like, I looked at the dates i realized because in in 83 i, d- I didn't fall out of love so much with the albion but i did fall in love with wanting to play football more on a Saturday in adult football. So Saturdays, I was, I was often on the, the football fields of Sussex yes. playing football. But, um, yeah, you know, yeah. but that, those are my memories of it. Yeah, your mullet and like jinking yeah. side to side with the ball, you know. And the other thing, I think it might have been in the same article that, um, that um, uh, Russ is talking about as well. The other thing that I thought was really refreshing and something you definitely wouldn't hear these days is your comment about that um, I just wanted to play football. I didn't even care about the money. No. <laughs> I mean, these days, it's like, well, they don't have to care about the money anymore because it's just so much of it that um yeah, well, they, they can't count it.
4: Yeah, but that's true. But then, I mean, I was, you know, when I was coming over, I was very naive. I, and I always say to my friends over here, if I had a son who was a very good footballer, he would make 10 times the money I would make. But just, you know, because, I mean, you have agents and everything nowadays. Um, but I just wanted, I, I mean, I just wanted to go out and play. every side. I just wanted to be on the team. Um, and it was only it was coming near the end of the career when I started getting the injuries then you start to think well yeah, money's kind of important you know, mm-hmm. if you have to, to give up but as I say from that point even from money point of view the best thing that ever happened to me was giving up because I have a good business my wife's about to sell the business so financially I've actually done a lot better than if I'd played a lot more football but it still doesn't take away from the years and and uh, the possibilities I could have had with the football. But uh, as I say, I don't have any regrets. But, uh, I mean, some guys, I, I played with an awful lot of good footballers who, you know, some of them are struggling really, really badly financially now. So I don't have any,
3: as I say, I, I have no regrets. No. Who would you say yeah. is the, the best player you ever played with and kind of, um, and against th- as well, maybe?
4: Yeah, the best player i ever played with. Um hmm. in the Brighton
3: team or in Gen- generally or yeah, or Brighton, either. I think it's gonna Yeah. In well,
4: both. <laughs> I, I mean I used to love playing with Frank Worthington. But when I played with Frank Worthington, he didn't have a lot of pace, but you could see I appreciated his touch and ability. Now he didn't play long he didn't play a long time for Brighton, but he he was kind of a hero of mine growing up, some of the things he'd done and, and I could still see some of the fantastic touches and he had a fantastic left foot um, but I think he maybe only played for Brighton for about a year and a half or so um, I mean there's a lot of good midf- I played with a lot of good midfield players I played with Jimmy Case, Alan Kirbishley, Danny Wilson I mean they were all great passers of the ball which I wanted out when I stood in the wing all I wanted was those guys to pass the ball out and they were all very very good they were all very good passers uh, get the ball out to you quick and get it out early um give you a bit of time then to kind of you know try some of your my tricks and my skills as you were saying earlier but um I suppose maybe in an international I suppose I played with Pat Jennings who was a great goalkeeper. I'm trying to think of some in the international team probably um, probably Sammy McElroy was a good footballer. Um yeah yeah I would say <laughs> offhand it's very hard to remember but uh
3: those guys would mainly be the main guys, yeah. Some pretty big names there anyway, that was a... a... Yeah. I have
1: to say that that, that um the Chris Catlin team, I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was around that long, but that was one of my favourite Brighton sides, whenever yeah. I got to see that side. I mean, I was a particular fan of, of Danny Wilson and the way that he used to really control that yeah. the midfield. Yeah. I mean, he was probably... I've put him... Yeah, I'd, I'd probably put him up in almost the same as Brian Horton in terms of the way that he... Yeah sort of like, you know, he kind of managed the team on the pitch.
4: Yeah, but I believe Brian Horton was a good player, and I've seen little clips yeah. of but I mean, I didn't play with him, or against him, but no, Danny was a good uh, and actually, as I say, I spoke to um, uh, he actually played for Northern Ireland, and the reason yeah. he did, because Billy Bingham asked me one day, how you know, was Danny Wilson as good as the reports he was hearing, I said, yep, Danny's a great player, if you can get him. So, I, I think I'm responsible for him getting about 25 caps, but He's never given me any money for that. There, right enough. No, but uh, <laughs> we, I, mean, I remember Billy Bingham pulling me in and saying, "Like this guy, Danny Wilson. I think he he was able to play because of his mother or his grandmother or something." Um, and uh, I said, yep, yeah, if you can get him, he's he's a good player." And he did. He played he played a lot of games for Northern Ireland as well. Yeah.
1: I mean, on the on the Northern Ireland front, one of the other things I was struck about was what you talked about. Bearing in mind those times that we all lived through. Um, was how the the you know the Northern Ireland team was was made of players from from you know both both sides of the divide so to speak, but as a team or as a squad, you seemed to get on really well.
4: Yep, as I said, well I was in the squad probably for about three or four or five years altogether, um, and as I say, half the guys came from East Belfast, which would be. Kind of Protestant, UVF, and half the guys came from West Belfast, which would be Republican uh, IRA area. And there was never ever anything I ever came across in uh, in the squads, and all the guys got on really, really well. But then they'd all gone; they'd they'd all had the opportunity to get out of Northern Ireland, get out of the city, and be and get involved with guys in England. And I think, I think probably if everybody had been had that opportunity, we wouldn't have had the problems we had. To be honest.
2: I think it's it's good that everybody did get on, and I think that's the way it should be, isn't it? Really, with football, you put any, any problems or issues you leave on the doorstep, step them in, into the air. Yeah, I mean,
4: uh, yeah, the, I'm, uh, really, I'm not just saying that. I mean, I never ever did I come across anything. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I
4: can't. And I think I that's probably why Northern Ireland did so well because they were a very tight knit.
1: I was going to say. I mean, you made was it two World Cups? Eighty-two, 82 yeah, and eight. Yeah.
4: When I joined, I, mm. I kind of... 83, when I joined Brighton, that was the squad. I went into the 82, the guys that had been to 82 and done really well in Spain. then those were the same guys I played with that got us to 86. So I was playing with all those guys and they were a great, great bunch of guys. And we still... Every now and again, there's the odd dinner over here we go to and it's nice to see them all. But um, mm.
2: <laughs>
4: every, every time you go there, there's one less. You know, I think I'm one of the biggest <laughs> ones. I think I... <laughs>
2: So yeah, I was say, it must have
3: been just... an incredible experience to be at the World Cup as well to go to a World Cup and to play playing the games and that. So It must have been you know, amazing like the kind of the peak of any footballer's career isn't it is, and kind of... yeah it was I
4: mean it was brilliant I mean and the thing about it was you, know, you when you play for England or something there's an awful lot expected from you but when you play from Northern Ireland, just getting to the World Cup Finals is a fantastic achievement, so you're not under the same type of pressure um Although having said that, we were disappointed we didn't get to the next phase because I think we drew we drew the first match 1-1 against Algeria. Spain beat us 2-1, and then went, and then I was injured and I play we did I didn't get playing against Brazil. They beat us 3-0. But if we had won that first game, we would actually have got through this uh, the qualifying stages and played Mexico at home, which would have been a great experience. But um, but as I say, for a small country like Northern Ireland, just just getting to World Cup finals is a great achievement.
2: Yeah, you'd, you'd made your debut, hadn't you, in October '84? So you'd, you'd settled into the squad, become a regular, I think, well ahead of the of the World Cup. And uh, it's a shame because I think in the in the report I was reading, you hadn't you did you miss the Brazil game altogether due to the injury in the yeah. Spain game? Is that right? right. Yeah,
4: I missed it. Missed um, the game that
2: again. must have been a gutter. Um, disappointing.
4: Yeah, really disappointing. Yeah. yeah. I think I played seventeen games in a row for, so it was kind of a regular, and then the injuries and then the injuries kicked in, and that was kind of the end of it. But
2: mm-hmm. uh,
4: but that was particularly, I mean, if you could have played any particular game ever in your life, you would probably want to play. But I couldn't play; my ankle was swollen up, and uh, you know, so it wasn't possible.
2: Yeah, that's a shame. Maybe you would have beat Brazil with you in the team, uh, there <laughs> I think so.
4: Lost <laughs> five 0 <now. laughs> <laughs> Four now instead of three
2: now. Awesome. <laughs> surely not. Surely not. But um, no, I mean that's because uh, I was born in seventy one. So my my era in terms of the album was very much uh, watching watching you and your teammates playing. So I was sort of twelve when you when you made that, your debut, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and obviously, by, by proxy, obviously Zico was was one of the sort of the. Yeah. The heroes of mine growing up as well in the international stage. And of course, he was in the Brazil team then, wasn't he? He came in that on as a
4: sub against us. He didn't start that game, but he came on as a substitute. Yeah, he was the top man at the time.
2: Yeah, Seiko. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, happy days there. At least you, you had a. It's great to be able to say you were at a World Cup and playing yeah. games. It's, uh, it's superb, isn't it? And yeah, I think it was.
4: I have to tell you, I have to tell you a funny story about that. There it was a, I was at the golf club one day, and I was standing at the bar. And one of the guys, one of the younger guys, came in, and he says, "Steve, I'm playing in a local cup final um, at the weekend." Um, this was something like, say, Southwick against somebody else. You know, that's kind of standard. And he says to me, "You never ever played. You never ever played in any finals, did you?" And I says, "No." I said, "No, I never did." I said, "The only one I played in was the World Cup finals." <laughs> and if and there's a guy beside, sta- there's a guy beside there's a guy who was working in the bar, and he knew me and I oh, just it was very very funny, it was very funny. I mean I'm not usually that quick, but uh, on that occasion it just it just came out. He says no, the only one I've ever played is the World Cup finals, so I kind of put him in his place anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we we mentioned Chris Catlin earlier, and obviously he was he was your first manager, wasn't he? Um he was, yes. and. Um, so how, how was he? Because I mean, again, this was my era. I loved, I loved Catlin. I was gutted and angry when he was sacked. I thought he should have had a longer run with us. Um, but that team, as Andy said earlier, was it was a great team to watch. I really enjoyed it. Um, how, how was he as a manager, though? And what was what was it like with, with that team? What, what were they like a, as a group? I
4: mean, and I, I, I mean, I didn't see Chris playing, but apparently he was a left back, and he was a hundred. I mean, he would have kicked you into the middle of the next week. You, you always wanted to be on his team in a five a side because if he was playing against you, he would have just, I mean, he was a hundred percenter. He would have just kicked you into the middle of next week, whether you're, whether he's wanting you in your team tomorrow or not. 100 <laughs> percent committed, you know, he was, uh, and it was good. I mean, he was good for me. Um, I suppose any manager that keeps picking you is a good manager, but
2: uh,
4: hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all you want, but uh, I mean, he. he yeah,
2: sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say he, he he said something too early, didn't he, um, about um, always having to be on it, um yeah. stepping up from, yeah. from what you've done beforehand in yeah. Ireland, yeah. Northern That's Ireland too. The, yeah.
4: That was one of the best bits of advice he ever gave me. But, I mean, I was playing, I was playing okay every Saturday, but obviously because I was an amateur and it come from amateur football, he, he brought me in one day and he said, Look, he says, Look, son, I was only nineteen at the time. He says, you know, like Professional football, you can't turn it off and on like a tap. You've got to train every day the way you want to play on the Saturday. says It's going okay for you at the minute, but if you don't, if you don't sharpen up and train and commit 100%. So that was a very good lesson. And that, and that's just just being professional. And you very quickly learn that there because, I mean, some of, some of the hardest sessions, and uh, I mean, I'm sure some of the other guys will tell you, some of the hardest sessions are actually training sessions during the week. All the guys are very committed and they're all trying to impress the manager. And uh, some of those are more, they're, they're, they're actually more brutal and more physical than than a lot of the matches are, to be honest. So, I mean, that's what he was more or less saying, look, you have to go out every single day, be professional, give it 100% and then it's easier. But every Saturday that comes around, you're more likely to be in that kind of phase, in that zone. So, yeah.
2: And on the pitch, I mean, we've just mentioned the whole thing of the mullets and jinking wing play. Um, That's definitely my image. And obviously it's Andy's, because that's what he said. Um, But how did you see yourself as a player? How would you describe your style? Obviously, you're a winger, um, but how would you describe yourself in detail? Is there a way you would word it?
4: Well, I mean, I thought my... Well... My main, I suppose, attributes were I could control a ball. It didn't matter. I always felt that no matter how a ball was hit to me, I could control it instantly, yeah. which gave me, I mean, over 60, 70 yards, I wasn't quick. Over 10, 20 yards, I was very quick. And, and so the fact that I could control a ball very comfortably and very easy always gave me time to get my head up to see what was going on because, I mean, believe it or not, Control. I mean, not everybody can control the ball. I even seen guys playing nowadays for big teams can't control the ball really, really well. But anyway, um, but I mean, I, I played with a lot of players who were a lot quicker than me over fifty, sixty, seventy yards if you were having a sprint. But over ten, fifteen yards, I suppose that was my uh, uh, forte, as such I was able to kind of control the ball, and I was I was sharp for ten, twenty yards, and that was enough to get past them. <laughs> Hopefully, get past a a full back and then put in crosses. Um, And I I used to love putting in crosses. I used to hate slicing them and putting them in the bakery. You know, Chris Catlin used to come in and say, Stephen, stop hitting those crosses into the bakery. You know, the bakery. (laughs) Apparently, it was a bakery behind the the South Stand at one time. And I says, well, you know, I took a bobble. I hit a bobble on the pitch. It was always a very wet pitch down at the bottom of the Goldstone, down at that end. And uh, every now and again, the turf would come up. It's not like the pitches nowadays. that would hit a bobble and it would end up getting over the crossbar. And he kept saying to me, "Try not to keep hitting into that bakery." He says, "We're not going to score many <laughs> <games from> there."
2: <laughs> oh, brilliant! Yeah, it's was, it was, um, an interesting time. Um, the Goldstone. I mean, what, what did you make of it? What was it like? Because I've I've never been inside the oh, stands. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of the um, you know behind the scenes, I'm, I'm trying to picture what it was like. It was very Can you well, Tell us about it.
4: Yeah, very old fashioned, like it was an old ground and it used to slope the, the, the pitch itself used to slope quite a bit from the north stand down to the down to the, the south stand um, hmm. and I mean I, I see the pitches nowadays and they look fantastic but in those days some of the pitches were very very they were very heavy and it was quite you know it was uh, quite tiring you know when, when the pitches got wet you know so but
2: yeah.
4: it, it was a good atmosphere, it was always a good atmosphere it was nice playing there but I mean, I've been over to the Amex a couple of times and I must say, I think I would rather be playing at the Amex every week on that pitch. But uh, I know that, I know a lot of the Brighton fans have a soft spot for the Goldstone, but I mean, the, the facilities are far superior now, obviously, in the, in the Amex.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the dressing rooms, I'm imagining um, nothing like the Amex. <laughs> Something a lot. Is it, was it quite a small, claustrophobic spaces, or was there actually quite a bit of room behind there?
4: It was... Uh, the, uh, the home changing room was slightly bigger than the away one. And then you had a little area where we used to play a little kind of game before we went out of uh, head tennis and that, you know, like getting your touch and everything. Was a little And then there was the physio room where I spent a lot of my time. So that's vaguely what I can remember along the playing area. And then there was little player's... Uh, players bar at the bottom end and then the offices up at the top end so it wasn't you know it wasn't a very very big uh, uh, big complex at all compared to as I say the Amex looks phenomenal (laughs) I mean it's I mean the the time I come over, the pitch just looked like a like, like a snooker table, and it was the first time I wanted. To, it's the first time I really thought I'd like to be playing football again after because had so many injuries, I was just glad to pack it in, get rid of it, forget about it. I, I play my golf, enjoy my golf, and I never I never looked back until the day I went back to the Amex. I think Brighton were playing Watford in the final game of the season, uh, Watford won and got promoted. Um, Brighton just stayed up, and that was in the that was in the championship. But that was the first day I really wished I could you know, I really did wish I was able I was fit and able to go out and play again. Because the pitch was yeah. so good. Yeah, and the stadium was fantastic.
2: Yeah. Andy,
1: yeah. Yeah. Steve, but just going back to the the managers, obviously obviously spoken about Catelyn, but um I think you've mentioned somewhere that when you were with Barry Lloyd, you didn't always quite no get on. So I I wondered if um if if um you were able to Expand on that, or would you be done for libel? I don't know.
4: No, no, no. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I'm sure Barry wouldn't. It's, I played no problems with Chris. Had the odd argument with Chris. I mean, that's normal. That's normal. And I, I played for Alan Murray. I like playing for Alan Murray. And I actually like playing for Barry Lloyd because when I did play for Barry Lloyd, I played well, but I didn't put any pressure on. you. just let you go out and play football. So that that side of it, I like playing for Barry, but. It, it was just it, it was one occasion. Um, I think I think I mentioned this in some other radio. So I'm not a uh, radio um, conversation, but I was. We were playing at home. I can't remember who we were playing, and uh, I didn't have I didn't have my best game, and Barry brought me off. But I was going for um, to an international match the following day, so I arrived over in Belfast and Billy Bingham pulled me in and had a meeting with me. And he said, Stephen, how do you get on with your manager? And at this time I said, well, I, said, I get on, there's no problem. Um, and uh, I said, no, I didn't play. I said, I didn't play particularly well. But I mean, that happens. I, I didn't play particularly well on Saturday. And I said, the, mani- the manager brought me off. Well, he said, and his exact words were to me, and I had a lot of respect for Billy Bingham because, I mean, uh, he was a good manager. And he said to me, if I was you, I would think about leaving. You know, I would think, I, he hasn't got your best interest at heart. And I said, well, why is that there? And he said, well, he rang me up on Saturday night and he said I didn't, that I hadn't tried an inch, basically, and that he wouldn't play me, if it was up, if it was him, he wouldn't play me in the international match. So, I, I found that surprising because I, I realised I didn't play well, but I mean, everybody at times doesn't play well, but it wasn't because of lack of effort. Um, and, uh so apparently Billy Bingham just said, Look, I'd be playing Stephen. I'd be playing Stephen, no matter what you say to me. So that, that's what turned the whole thing sour. So mm. I was going back to the club and in those days I, I mean I probably should have went in and just sorted it out with them. But uh, but so that's that that was where that was where I kind of found it hard then with Barry. But I mean I, I liked him as a person, it's not a problem. I didn't have any grudges and when I played, I came back um, I got back from injury, and I think I played the last eleven or twelve games of the promotion season, scored three or four goals, and and helped them. Um, so um, it was just that it was just that situation, and uh,
1: that's quite I, a quite a strange thing to do, really, because it's like it's not as if he's phoning up the Northern Ireland manager Billy Bingham, and Billy Bingham doesn't know you. I mean, knew, he knew you as a player and as a person. Yeah. He's not going to take his direction from the Brighton manager, is he? Listen,
4: the, team, the team at the time wasn't going well. Barry was probably under a lot of pressure. and A lot of my injury time was, I mean, I, it was frustrating for him because he could never get me fit. Every time he thought I was coming back, you know, I was breaking down. And I suppose, like, I, I try to see both sides of it. But I, certainly it wasn't the right thing to do. And, I, and, and that was, to me, that was he shouldn't have, he'd have been better pulling me in after the game or saying something when I come back to the international and saying, look, you know, I, I just thought it was a bit underhand and I wouldn't have, I, and yeah. I wouldn't have done that. So, but on the plus side, I like playing for Barry and, uh, and as I say, I came back and I played and we got promotion that year and there was never anything really, you know, there was no nastiness or anything between us. It was just something I th- thought that didn't need to be done. And, uh Obviously, Billy Bingham was looking out for my best interests. I didn't want to leave Brighton. But the next thing is, it's in your mind. That's when I started, you know, there was a possibility to go to Palace and uh, and uh, different things was happening. But that was the time I was injured. So, you know, like I had no real notion of leaving Brighton. It was only when, you know, you think the manager is ringing up the international managers. If he'd if he'd, rang the, man, if he'd rang the international manager up and said, look, Stephen had a stinker, I would, have, I would have said to Billy, absolutely, it wasn't my best game. But to ring up and say you didn't try an inch, you know, like I just didn't think that was right. Yeah. yeah now, it's, some, it's some, 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 some people, you know, like I wasn't one of those guys that ran about and, and kicked people. You know, I don't think that's right. Really, there's a lot of guys, that, well, I'm not mentioning any names, but lots of guys over the years where they would two, two foot tackle somebody round the throat and, and get sent off and the manager would say, that's great, that's what we want. But to me, someone that's trying is when things are going badly, you're making angles. You're always, you know, you're not hiding. So it's just a different outlook in the game, I suppose. Um, you know, you don't have to be. What I'm saying is, you don't have to run about kicking people and 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 to prove that you're really trying. You know.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. That's
4: the, that's the story. That if I have no grudges against Barry Lloyd. If I met him tomorrow, I would have, you know, it's. It's um, it he, wasn't,
1: it wasn't, And when you got back after the international duty, did he ever actually talk to you about it? Did no, he say, oh, I, you know, I phoned he, your manager up. Did he tell you?
4: No, he never. No, he never. Mm. No, and probably, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have. I should have went into his office and kind of sorted. No, he never said anything to me. But, you know, there was always that feeling that, uh, you know, maybe my time, <laughs> you know, maybe my time was. uh kind of limit it there and that's when you start to think to yourself well you have to kind of start looking about going somewhere else but uh, mm. but then, but as I say it must have been it must have been frustrating for Barry because he was. I know he was wanting to play me and I, I was injured so much I was frustrated and he was frustrated and I think the whole club was frustrated so um, you know it's understandable There's two, he's under pressure he's the manager I mean if you're looking at the bigger picture uh, I mean, as I say, we have a business now, and if people don't turn up for one reason or another, it's not it doesn't help the whole team, you know? So you can understand both sides. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah
4: fair
1: enough.
2: Yeah, indeed. And um, we were talking earlier about um, how the pitches have changed, the injury treatments, all that sort of stuff. And Andy said it's refreshing that, you know, you weren't worried about money, you just wanted to play football. Another thing that maybe, I don't know if this is true to say, but... Seemed refreshing to hear was um that the fact that you did seem from the article in the uh, in the, the Albion Online uh, a year ago that to be very happy with the club that you didn't want to go all the way through your career with us you seemed ultimately uh, pretty happy to stay like the area as you mentioned yourself earlier um despite interest from clubs higher up the food chain at the time I think um Graham Taylor was mentioned at Watford two hundred thousand offer was it you mentioned Palace. And I think was it Ipswich as well?
4: Ipswich, yeah. Very interesting. I yeah. yeah.
2: So, so that's that's great to hear because obviously, from Albion supporting point of view, you want to hear the players are loyal to the club, they want to stay and everything. But um, it, was, what, what particularly drove you to want to stay was it the a mixture of the area and the teammates?
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, it was. I think it was. I mean, as I say, I went straight into the team. And it was. I mean, hmm. Brighton was a lovely place to be living down. I mean, a lot of guys ended up coming down to finishing their career down at Brighton because it was a lovely, it was a lovely place, a lovely part of the country to live to start with. Um, plus, I mean, I was I, I was playing every week, um, and you just think it's going to last forever. Knowing what you know, if if if, if you knew um, then what I knew what a new, if I knew, sorry, let me get this right. If I knew then, what I know now, obviously, every big club that come in, what you would, your agent would be in and say, look, Stephen's going to go here, there. You need to put his wages up. But I, I wasn't interested. I was just happy playing, getting the win bonus, being part of playing for Brighton. I mean, I was only 19, 20 years old. So uh, you just think it's going to last forever. You just think it's going to last for the next 15 or 16 years. Unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or it doesn't.
2: Yeah, uh, indeed, it's such a shame, isn't it? But uh, it, as you said, with injuries as well, it it just comes when it comes, doesn't it? That sort of yeah. thing. But uh, not much we can do about it. Well, let's take our first break there, Steve, and um, give ourselves a breather, and then we'll uh, we'll come back in part two. We'll probably talk a bit more about the latter half of your Albion career on. Particularly interested to find out a bit more about that promotion you mentioned, which is 8788, isn't it, by the way? Um So maybe a bit more about that and some other things besides. So we'll be back in just a moment.
4: Okay, i just leave that on because I'm not sure how to turn it off. Is that okay? Yeah,
2: no yeah. worries, no worries. This podcast is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the UK's first dedicated sport network of its type. Find the next show you'll love or join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. So we're back, part two, with Peter, Andy, me, Russell, and with Steve Penny. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, Steve. We're really enjoying it. And... um, in the first part, we were talking about the early part of your life, your career and signing for Brighton and, um, and your international, um, career as well. Um, just taking the Brighton career aspect a bit further <laughs> through then. Um, you were talking a little bit about the 87, 88 season, which was, of course, our promotion season back from the third tier to the second tier. I can't even remember what it was called back then. Probably Division 2, wasn't it, I think? Uh, I've lost track. (laughs) Um, But the second tier, anyway, back to the second tier. A really good team. I think we had the likes of Kerbishly in the side at the time, Danny Wilson, I think. Um, And what what did you make of that season? Um, For me, I obviously loved it. Uh, We got promoted. I think I went to a lot of my first away games then as a 17-year-old with mates. And um, I remember we had... Uh, the likes of Brentford away and some great away trips in and around that time. Um, What were your best memories of the season? Are there any particular moments that stood out for you?
4: Well, I mean, obviously it was very frustrating being injured for most of the year, but as I said, I managed Mm. to get the knee sorted out, got back, and I think I played the last, uh, I think it was maybe 10, 11 games. Um, yeah, like I played away at Brentford. we drew one each away I think I scored in that one if you check up, oh, I, re- I, I think definitely we drew one one away to Brantford um, yeah the league game yeah
2: no, was no, that one? Uh,
4: I mean G- Nelson and Kevin Bremner were uh, um, two really good players in that team that I can remember um, uh, and I just remember yeah. to say, I think I think we won did we win eight of the last nine and draw one or something like that there, so it just it was good we came we came quite a late run um but as I say with all as I say, with all the ups and downs with Barry Lloyd, I still felt I came back and made the difference you know with the team because the team really really took off at that point and we and we did go on that good run now, obviously, I helped a bit, but it wasn 't solely because of me, but I, you know i I felt that um even through all the frustration and everything that went on, I, I was still capable of coming back and adding something to the team which helped the promotion. I think we ended up, we beat Bristol Rovers. I think it was 2-1 in the final day, wasn't it? I think it was 2-1, 2-0. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah. For the Yeah, they got yeah. yeah, in second place, yeah. So, I mean, that was great. It was a great feeling. It was a great night. Uh, and I think we went a nice wee trip away to Mallorca or something shortly after. Because uh, I remember having to leave that trip early to come back to play an international match so um, no that was good times yeah it wasn't always bad times pretty, you know that was that was one of the really good the good the good uh, times that I can remember yeah.
2: Yeah what were the celebrations like in, in the changing rooms and oh, that I, night?
4: Yeah great and then <coughs> and then we had I think did we go to I can't remember where we went that evening with lovely food and it was a great evening and uh, Quite a bit of dry. I didn't drink that much, but we had a few drinks. Uh, and as I say then away, I think it was uh Menorca or Mallorca for a week, as I say. But uh, I had to come home halfway through to go and play, I think it was Malta, we had to play a World Cup match. Um so um yeah, that was that was good. Uh, and then I think more or less I think the next season uh well, the seasons run into one. I can't, I can't, I, I don't know if that was the time I left Brighton or not. After that, there, I think I went then, I went up to Hearts. Um,
2: yeah, it was that like 91, wasn't it? I think,
4: yeah, 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 that's right. Went up to Hearts and uh, hmm. came back down to Burnley then. So, um, you no, know, I mean, I was disappointed, I, I didn't want to leave, but you know, it was just one of those things that I think. You know, I don't know why the manager thought there was an impasse and we couldn't agree or we couldn't get on or whatever, but yeah, I think it was better. I would have preferred to have stayed, put it that way, but, uh, you know, that's just, that's history.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it was a good stint. Eight, eight years is, is excellent. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask um, Peter, actually, something in a minute, but just, just first of all, um, with um, the promotion season... I'm just thinking that I was a North stand about then and I remember there was a game, I think unusually, I think it was on a Friday night at uh, home to Northampton. and I was in the North stand and I think I've got the day right. And um, there was a game where they had the fans in the corner, in the northeast corner, and um, we were giving it the big one to them and there was lots of banter going backwards and forwards. I think they were pushing, weren't they, for promotion as well, if I remember rightly. And um, there was, in my mind's eye, I don't know if I imagined this and I don't know if you were at the game or... you were playing that night i'm not sure but we remember looking over to the side and i'm pretty sure i saw a giant inflatable pair of lips that appeared in the away end (laughs) when they were doing this oh yeah giving it the mouth thing to us we're all laughing our heads off am i imagining that do you remember
4: (laughs) what i remember no all i can remember was um you remember the expression we've got loads of money 'Cause all the Brighton Brighton obviously, came, oh, yeah. obviously all the fans came from an affluent area and every every time we went up north to play at Hull or Grimsby or some of these places, the fans used to give it all oh, we've got loads of money. And I thought that was quite that was quite witty. But uh no, I can't remember that. <laughs> to be to be honest, I never went to the football match when I was injured. I just couldn't, you know, I just stayed at home. I couldn't I yeah. didn't want to go and see because I was you know, it was bad enough. In you know the treatment room all day long, and then having to sit and watch a match where you you know where you wanted to be. I just I don't think I ever I really when I was injured I never went to watch a game at all. I just preferred to stay completely away from it because it was yeah. so destroying to be honest.
2: You know absolutely, yeah. yeah, it's fair enough, isn't it? And um, yeah, the question for Peter was going to be. I think you mentioned when we were talking that you um your first season was possibly nineteen ninety one. So Steve's yeah. last season with the yeah. club. So do you remember? Do, do do you remember any of the games that Steve played that year?
3: Uh, not. I know you would have been young a, as well. To be honest, the main ones I remember like that year at the playoffs, obviously, and the Liverpool away game, which was amazing when we drew two all at Liverpool, having been two down in the mm. cup. Um, I don't. The league games are a bit of a. Other than the fact we won one at Watford, the first game, I don't remember much about it. Yeah. It was kind of like on, I was quite young then.
4: You're too young to remember. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember going to
3: Anfield and drawing to all and being very, yeah Liverpool was still obviously a very good team They weren't quite the dominant force they were in in the 80s But they were still a pretty good team And we yeah, went there and drew to all from two down um, was the, Which was uh, a pretty amazing that was, day
1: That was the birth of um, Johnny Crumpling, the football genius Yeah, he marked one out
3: the game, didn't he, pretty much He kind of like,
1: Imagine. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's the kind of that's the big season that I completely um, missed, apart from coming back in January because I've been travelling all year. Oh, really? so all I was getting was um like well you didn't have email back then, so every now and then I'd pick up a letter at a post restaurant and and someone I was um who knew me quite well was sending me out the um the the football reports of the games and the newspaper cuttings. So yeah. I sit there on the steps reading those. That's that's how I followed that season. Oh yeah <laughs> It it's was lot, different
4: It's a lot easier now With the oh,
3: Technology yeah. It's yeah, amazing well, To think back Even like When I, when I was watching in the 90s Like the Having the, um, to look at Teletext And the like, score's Coming through on Teletext You had to look, Wait for the next Screen to load To get the latest score <laughs>
2: Oh yeah. I remember that Yeah
3: That's right
2: yeah. Yeah. Well that promotion season I think we got in the Playoffs with a Minus goal difference Didn't we We did Yeah we were,
3: we were We, we,
4: pretty pretty yeah, we got
2: unique. stuffed
3: A few times And uh, Yeah yeah, I think I said to, on the on the show before. My first game was at Watford, and we won one nil. And I genuinely thought Brighton were going to win every game I went to, and then we lost the next game three nil at Oxford, and I was like, "Oh, that's uh, <laughs> come come yeah. back down to reality quite quickly."
4: But you guys had that. You guys had to suffer through all the years where Brighton were nearly out of the the league. I mean, it was horrendous. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it from afar. I mean, the, when they moved down to the Webdean Stadium and they were playing down there, and there was didn't seem to be any future, and nobody seemed to know what was going on. It was. To be
2: in the position they're in now is absolutely fantastic. Really. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? And um, long may I continue. And we'll probably ask him in the final part with, um, a little bit about um, the current team and um, what you think about uh, football in general. But um, I've got a few questions, actually, from David Townsend, who's a friend of the show, friend of ours in general. Um, and um, he's been on this show in fact before in the past. But he's he's asked you three questions, Steve. First of all, do you still own the opticians in Northern Ireland? I'm presuming that's the business you yes. said you were on the verge of selling, is it?
4: Yes. Uh, well, it's my wife who's the main director. She's the optician. She's uh, we've we've had it now for 25 years, especially of franchise, and she'll hopefully all being well, selling up in the next three to six months. So. Um, She's looking forward to retirement. I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to it because it might curtail my golf a bit, but um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been very fortunate. We've been a, it's been a very good business and very successful, and I think she's done she's done enough now, and I think hopefully this COVID has kind of slowed the, the sale of it down a little bit, but I would say in the next three to six months, yeah, uh, hmm. she'll sell that out, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, excellent. Um, his second question is, um, what do you remember about that? We've touched on this off-air, didn't we, just before? Mm-hmm. What do you remember about this glorious 2-0 Cup victory against the all-conquering Liverpool side in 1984? And a man-of-the-match performance, as I recall, he says.
4: Yeah, yep, 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 one of the best day. I was only over about two months, and it was, just, it was a, one of the few live television, um, you know, live TV games on at the time. And I remember Graham soon has been, I think he had to go off injured after about 30 minutes. And I thought that's give us a chance because he was a fantastic player. And, uh, we scored two quick goals. Jerry Ryan and Terry Connor scored within about a few minutes of each other. And well, it was a great, fantastic performance. Great evening afterwards. The Liverpool players at the time, they were European champions, they all went out with us. Um, and, uh, you know, they were really classy afterwards. They all went out to a club in Brighton. In those days, it's, it's a lot more professional now, obviously. But um, they were very, you know, e- even though they were European champions and you know they'd just been beaten, there was no problem. They went out and had a good night with us. It was great, great experience for a young lad. I mean, I was only, as I say, I had only joined, and and, and now I'm mixing with guys like like Graham Souness and and uh, oh, Alan Hansen and all the rest of them. It was fantastic.
2: Yeah, see it was great. As you said, it was on ITV, wasn't it? And uh, actually BT Sport, as, as I was mentioning off air, ran it the other day. So I was watching you just the other day in that game. And, uh, it was, it was a great match. 2-0 win, of course. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was the year after the, uh, after the cup final run as well. So we just had a little purple patch, which was unusual for us in the cup. We haven't got a great record. All, all things considered, in the competition, but that that was a golden era, <laughs> as far as it goes. And, and the last time we beat
3: Liverpool it. until recently, as well, wasn't it? But wasn't that the one they kept quoting? It was like thirty seven years ago until we uh, obviously did it this month, this month, earlier this month. That's yeah, that's,
4: yeah. yeah, fantastic performance. And I think they beat the they beat Liverpool. Did they not beat Liverpool in the cup run the previous season in the eighty yeah. three? They beat
2: them. All yeah, down. that's right. Two one at Anfield, fifth round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 which is. Uh, even more amazing result, probably, at the time, I would think, given the fact it was away from home. But, uh, yeah, fantastic times. Um, David's third and final question is, where in Brighton did he get his mullet styled, he asks. <laughs> <laughs> your your mullet is taking over this podcast. You don't have it now, do you, um, by the way, just no, to clarify? No, I still, have, I still have
4: plenty of hair. I have plenty of hair, but I don't have the mullet. No, the- <laughs> when I played for Bonamini, there was a girl, I think, Used to always do my hair over here, and uh, I think she did the perm for a while because Kevin Keegan and uh, and uh, Glenn Hoddle and that used to have it was a Kevin Keegan and anyway some other players used to have so it, it had the perm first and then I had the mullet when I went over to Brighton but I can't remember where I got the cut in Brighton to be honest I can't remember. <laughs> hmm.
2: so, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and where did you where did you obviously you were in digs in Shoreham did you? move on and live elsewhere in Brighton and that general area. Whereabouts do are you?
4: I had a flat in Ainsley Court, which is not far away from um, old train station, which was nicely flat for you year and then I had a lovely house up in Tongdean Tongdean Lane, just just up the lane from the Witbean Stadium. Oh uh, yeah. I used yeah. to love it just off Dyke Road Avenue and I, I loved that house. In fact, I wish the price of it now. I wish I had kept it.
2: Both, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
4: people keep telling me I should have kept it and rented it out or something. But no, I, I used to love living there, and uh, I say I just used to go up the Dyke Road Avenue and uh, could see Sammy Nelson there. And it was handy to the club, and uh, it was a lovely, lovely, lovely area. But as I say, I could easily, I could easily have stayed in Brighton and lived in Brighton. I really liked it. I liked the whole. Uh, the Sussex Downs and everything, but um, as I say, just my main preference was to move back home, you know. So.
2: Yeah. You, get a lot
4: yeah. nice, you get a lot of nicer, you get a lot of a nicer house over here for a lot cheaper than you would in Brighton, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, the prices are insane. I mean, London, where Peter, Andy oh, and I are all living, yeah. is, is crazy, is. but Brighton even is, you know, because it's, it's commutable, that's it's right. desirable, etc. Yeah, it's just the, uh, it's too much now. Yeah, uh, if only <laughs> I should have gone on the property ladder sooner as well. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, but okay. So that, yeah, so I mean that's the the Brighton era. So after after Brighton, you um you obviously were having some trouble with injuries, which I think was was precipitating problems. You were with Hearts for a season, Burnley for two seasons. Is that right? And then and then had to wrap it up? Age was it thirty? Is that right?
4: Uh, yes, twenty nine,
2: thirty. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, how did that come about? Did you did you just have? Was it a gradual process of realisation, or was there a particular well, thing that happened that finished well, it I'm off?
4: I left Brighton because I kind of fell out with Barry, uh, Barry Lloyd, mm. and I thought I, I knew my knee was okay, so I thought I, I you know, I thought I, I, I'm. I'm you know, I can still go and prove myself somewhere else, which I did. I went up to heart. I went up to Hearts, where Joe Jordan was the manager and uh, played well. He saw I was fit and I never missed a day's training for a whole year. But uh, I mean, Scottish football is just crazy. Scottish football, to be honest, in those days was just kicking rust compared to the kind of cultured football that you played uh, in England. You know, it was just, it was just like crazy. So I moved back down to Burnley and, uh, Scored in my debut with Burnley. We beat Swansea one 0 at home. I scored the winner. Uh, scored another few goals. Was going well. Everything was good. The knee was fine, and my Achilles went. And, I, and unfortunately, after two or three operations, there that was. I just had enough. I just, I just, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, because every time you come back for an operation, you think, well, this is. You, you put all the hard work in to get back. You go on the training pitch you think everything's okay, and it just breaks down again, it's kind of, it is soul-destroying, and at that time, to be honest, the opportunity to take my wife to take out the Series franchise had just come up in Ballymena in Northern Ireland, and I said, look, what little money I had for um, for retirement, which wasn't an awful lot, we can put that into the business, but as I said before, it's it's the best thing that ever happened, to be honest. But I still would have loved to have been able to play another two or three or four years, anyway. But then, it wouldn't, but then the business opportunity wouldn't have been there. So uh, it's kind of all worked out for the best. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Andy.
1: I was just going to say, going back to the injury, Steve, for a second, it's. I think that. I think fans can kind of um, appreciate the kind of the physical side of it, and that maybe. You have to adjust your game, or there's that kind of tentative bit about will you be good enough or not again. Yeah. But I think probably they don't really fully understand the psychological side of it, yeah, you know, and how that hard that must be, and and you know, like when you've had a bad injury and then you come back and then you get another bad injury, yeah. you know, it it must really take its toll on you mentally, and and I yeah. guess there comes a point where you just think, I don't I don't actually know if I can go back and do all the work in the gym to get me back again, you know? Yeah,
4: that's exactly yep. And every time it gets harder and harder. And mentally you're lying at night thinking, Is this really is this really happening to me after playing every game for about three or four years and everything's going so good, playing international football, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're waking up in the middle of the night saying, Is this a bad dream or is this you know and you just can't get you just can't get the, the problem sorted out. It's just in nowadays it would have been probably been been fixed a lot easier. Uh, probably would have been a couple of months out of my career and I could have continued but uh, the Achilles problem really was uh, there was a a Mark Leather who was actually a physio for Brighton um, for two or three years when I was there he was actually the physio when I went up to Burnley he had moved up to Burnley and uh, he worked with me and I'd had two operations one on each ankle and one was successful and one wasn't and they wanted me to try to to have a second go one of the Achilles. And to this, I said, no, I'd had enough. I was giving up. And to this day, I still couldn't run. I could run for half an hour. And then the next day I would really struggle to walk. So whereas the mm. one of the Achilles that was repaired perfectly, it's never given me trouble. The knee has never given me any trouble, but I've still a weakness in that other Achilles, which was the one that I had to give up with at Burnley.
1: I mean, and, that, and that's the other side to it, isn't it? I think sometimes, obviously when we're younger, we have these injuries and we, we just want to get back and play. Mm-hmm. You know, we just want to play, don't we? But um, actually, sometimes you, you, you know, and I, I don't know if this back then would have happened enough, but no one seems to have the conversations about, well, thinking about where you are in your 50s and you're going to end up in a wheelchair or with a walking stick, you know? Because no. all players are a long time retired. And, you know, you, you see, read stories about some of them in their, in their 50s, and, you know, they, they've got no, they've hardly got any mobility at all. And in and these days, you know, the stuff coming through now about dementia and heading a football, you know. Yeah,
4: I was just going to mention that. Yeah, I was just going to say. But, I mean, I don't know a kid nowadays if you said you can earn 20, 30, 50, 100 grand a week and be a professional football. And somewhere in the future, you might have a problem with your head. I, I just can't. You know, to me, that wouldn't stop a football guy signing a contract with playing football. Uh. No, no. I, you know, I really wouldn't. I mean, it's no, different. No. I mean, the money is completely different now. I mean, you know, you should be able to set yourself up comfortably without having to do anything else now with the money that's about. And in the days when I played, even the very, very top players still had to probably go on and do something else, you know, with the money they made. Um, but
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, in your day, like you are setting up your business, that was a necessity. And I mean, it was quite influenced, wasn't it? Uh, loads of yeah. Footballers would go and get themselves a pub, I and mean, I think Jerry Ryan was one of them.
4: Jerry was, and yes, I, lovely guy. Jerry, one of the top guys, yeah. I've been at his pub a couple of times, yeah,
1: yeah. But now you kind of now you kind of think that you know, players when they retire now, they, they're, they're involved in football because it's a hobby, really. They, they don't need the money,
4: it's because well, they just love right. it, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only consolation I had was in those nights where I was lying and I was wondering was it a nightmare or not. My wife, Valerie, was an, was a, an optician who was had a professional, uh, you know, had a profession behind her. So I always thought, well, the family's going to be okay. Like we're going to be okay financially. Now, that that I was just fortunate I was in that position, but uh, a lot of footballers in those days just weren't in that position, and a lot of guys who played a lot more games and did a lot more in the game, you know, really really didn't make very much out of the game. And they do, like you say, they do have injuries. They do have mobility problems. Um, and once you're out of the game, you know, nobody else is going to really pay money. No one else is going to give you a living, you know, really.
1: Yeah. And then you've got others, haven't you, that when they, when they finish the game, they kind of, like they've lost the buzz. And so they're kind of making up for it through things that they've become addicted to, you know, yes. like gambling and alcohol.
4: Yes. Well, I mean, you know. yeah, that's, a, and I can understand that. I mean, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not kind of addicted to any of those, or I wouldn't be, but I can understand the buzz you get from scoring a winning goal in front of 20,000 people or 30,000 people. It's very, very hard to replicate in any other walk of life. And I can understand guys like, I mean, you mentioned guys like Paul Gascoigne, who played at a far higher level than me and was fantastic. I mean, for him to have to come down, it must be very difficult. If If you're not mentally very 100%, you know, it could be very, there's no doubt
1: about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I couldn't under, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine how you can replace that. You know, the, the thought of crowds of thirty thousand plus cheering you when you score a goal. Yeah, no. Um, you know, yeah. no, nothing I ever experienced. It was more like thirty people if I was lucky. But you know, it's that kind of feeling, isn't it? And you just can't replace it. You, you can't, can't replace, replace it. it. You,
4: know, you can't replace it. But the thing about it is, I think when you're young, you just think it's going to last. That, that was the kind of. You know, I thought because it went well for three or four years, there was more or less didn't have any injuries. I thought this just this is going to keep going until I'm 35. This is fantastic, but it just takes one injury or one bad tackle or something just to end everything. But I think players now are looked after a lot better from the PFA, um, uh, you know, and they are there's no doubt about it. They're probably better insurance policies and all now than when we used to play. And even the guys, even the guys that played 20 years before me. They used to say, you know, we earn so much money and we're so lucky. So I think every generation's getting better. You know, they're getting looked after better. But as regards to heading the ball, I mean, I I wouldn't know one professional footballer who wouldn't play, who would turn down the chance of being a professional footballer because in 30 years' time they might have dementia. Now that may seem controversial, but I, I would say, if you honestly ask most footballers, I said, maybe a different story in rugby or something, but even that, I, I don't think, are you going to stop representing your country because you might get some head injuries?
1: No, I mean, I for me, I, I think that the the key messages coming out of that is what, so I help coach an under-10s team. Yes. So I think the key messages for that for us is about what we're doing maybe until the kids are 14, 15, around yeah. heading. I mean, you can't even, like, 10-year-olds, you can't stop them heading the ball in the game. Yeah. But we don't, we don't do any any kind of heading practice, any heading drills, which when I was a kid, we probably would have done.
4: Yes, you would have done. But what my, my, my argument is, and you're, you're absolutely right, because that's the medical, but are those guys going to be good at head, heading the ball when they get to 20?
1: Well, I mean, that, that might be a skill well, we, that we, that we see that. that disappears a bit. Sorry? You know? That Sorry. might well be a skill that we see... Is on the decline as, yeah. We, yeah. as we watch football play. It could well be. Could well yeah. be. I'd like. I'd like to say that my under tens play the ball on the ground and we don't need to edit, yeah. but I'd be lying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Yeah, That's I love them. Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. dear. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean that. That is a very emotive issue at the moment, actually, heading and dementia and issues along those yeah. lines. Yeah. Um, other issues in the game. I, I don't know if you've got a enough time to hang on for a third part, Steve, where we could just quickly ask you a few bits and pieces about the the modern game and your views on that as well.
4: That's fine, no problem,
2: yeah. Brilliant, okay. We'll take a short interval now and we'll come back to that in just a minute. Okay, so we're back with our third and final part of this episode, a special episode with Steve Penny. Our special guest and really enjoying chatting to you, Steve. And the, the other bits we haven't talked about so far are about the modern game, apart from mentioning that palace match that didn't happen on Monday night. Um, apart from that, I um, wanted to get your thoughts on a few things to do with the game as it, as it stands now. Um, we've, we've mentioned the dementia issue, uh, as one of, one of the things that's affecting the game now. Um, how have you found first of all that the whole period with COVID, uh, we've been in unprecedented times, haven't we? Um what's what's been your take on it in terms of the footballing world? Have you do, do you think um, things have been things have been handled as well as they could be overall? Because well, there's been lots of well, throwing with schedules, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean the one sure thing is I'm glad it's on TV because it's the only thing, you know, for the punters. I mean, if you not have tell if you didn't have the football to look forward to I mean, there's very little else you can do at the moment, so I think it's a good idea that they've obviously continued the uh, the Premiership. Um, I mean, as regard, I mean, I, I think the standards far. I think the guys are, I think the guys nowadays are more athletic, and it's a quicker game than when I used to play. Obviously, but having said that, the pitches are a lot better. the The facilities are better. But the game is much much quicker and the refereeing's better. I mean, you guys watch when I used to play. I mean, you could get, get terrible tackles and the referees never. Whereas now, because it's there's so many cameras, you can't get away with anything. The game flows a lot better, and I think it's better for it. To be honest, I think it's. A, hmm. Some people say it might. You know, you can't you can't tackle properly now. You can't give the old crunching tackles that guys used to give, and a little bit of that is. You know, has gone in the game, but I think overall the speed and the athleticism now of the players is fantastic. I mean, it's such a quick game from end to end, and I think it's, I think it's a better spectacle, to be honest, because of, because mm-hmm. the refereeing's better and there's the tackles aren't as bad.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember watching the uh, FA Cup final back um, a few times, and absolutely cringing. Some of the some of the challenges going in were. Truly appalling. Whiteside white side on Chris Ramsey, which put him out of the game, actually. And a few others besides. Um, some of the some of the tackles were truly horrendous. So, we do complain about refereeing now. I do nowadays as well. But I would imagine things have improved somewhat from that era. Uh, that yeah, must be said.
4: I'm not sure everybody agrees with the VAR. But, I mean, I think it's a bit pernickety. But I suppose it's fair. But it's not... I mean, if you have to I mean when you score a goal it's a great feeling and you have to stand about for five minutes to find out if it's a goal or not I think that part of the game isn't great. but the VAR the fact, the fact that um, you know there's not blatant mistakes I suppose uh, the VAR is probably a good thing but taking away the you, you know the euphoria and the instant. From the fans as well, I'm sure. I mean, from the players mm. and the fans, you don't want to stand about and wait for a minute or two to find out if, if, you, if you've beaten two players and chipped it in the top corner. You don't want to find out if your toes offside. To be honest, you just, you know. So there's pros and cons, I suppose, on on the VAR system.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I, originally when it first came in, I was quite in favour because we'd had some dreadful decisions against, them, I think, the previous season and, yeah. you know, ones where they were really clearly offside or whatever and somehow not given or should have been a red card for someone up for the other team, but wasn't. Mm-hmm. But then, yes, yeah, so like, to me, it was supposed to be brought in to, to remove clear and obvious errors, not to remove a player's like exactly like yeah. finger being offside or something or... When it's not even, you know, they don't even use their hand in the process, like that ridiculous one, the Leeds guy who got a Bamford who got offside yeah. because he put his arm where to where he wanted the balls to be passed to, and things like that just make you, you know, kind of mm. it's just so petty, yeah.
4: and I mean, I mean, the fans the fans do come to see goals now, they don't want to see a goal if you're two yards and it's an obvious mistake, but for something like that, I think it benefits. Any. But then, where do you draw the line? This is the thing, do you draw the line at a toe rather than a toenail? Mm. So, um. But uh, it, m- it must be difficult. I mean, if you if you score a fantastic goal and you're in that zone and you're in the moment and then you and then it's all deflation after after a few minutes, but uh, I think they'll maybe work at it and they'll, they'll gradually improve it, to be honest.
2: Hmm. Just tracking back in time quickly as well, just to ask you, so gr- with growing up, I mean, did you follow a team, obviously famously in Northern Ireland and, and in Southern Ireland, Um Pretty much everyone seems to follow one of the big sides over there, Man U, Arsenal, Liverpool with traditionally the, the sides. Did you follow a team or did you just follow Balamin Or Was that your, your side?
4: No, no I, I mean, obviously, like, but you, like you say, over here, it's either Liverpool or Manchester United for most kids, uh, hmm. in those days particularly. Um, but I suppose I would have preferred Manchester United because they, they had always a lot of Northern Ireland players playing for them. Guys like Jimmy Nickel who I played with Sammy McElroy, Norman Whiteside, mm. played with all those guys. So um, you probably, you know, you lent more towards Manchester United. But I, I, I kind of I support it. I kind of like to see Nottingham Force doing well because it's I'd spent a few times over with them. That was it really. Um, but I always, I mean, nowadays Brighton is only. I mean, even though I even know a player at Burnley and Hearts. I mean. It, keep an eye on the results but for the last two or three years I'm as bad as any fans I mean I'm desperate for Brighton to stay in the Premiership because I think the more years we stay in then you have more chance of actually you know you can uh, you, you can sustain a higher position and you can gradually you know like do like a Burnley or something you know where you're in for a number of years you feel the last few years has been touch and go to be honest so um, I'm always looking for, I'm always hoping that Brighton yeah, I'm always, it's
2: the first result I always look for every week hoping that they get yeah. they can stay Excellent. up that's good to hear and you, it sounds like you've been following a fair bit of it um, yeah. what have you made of the team who are your you, you, uh, stand out players and how good. do you think we're doing
4: yeah as the young fella at the right back Terry glumty I think he's he's a fantastic player I think he could be the next England full-back from what I've seen if he gets fit again I also like Basuma in midfield I think he's a good, ass, good player um I've watched a lot of brighton this year, and they play a lot of good football without being very uh like incisive at the end of it and I'm not just sure it's the front players it's it's kind of it's just the way the teams set up um you know it's not they're yeah. not they're not Creating clear cut chances, you know they they're getting chances, but you wouldn't say they were getting to the byline. Like I like to, still like to see players getting to the byline, and I, I like the way Sonny Marsh puts in a lovely ball. I, I, I still think you have to get to the byline a bit like Man City do. They can really walk the ball into the net because they're cutting them back from the bylines, and, and rather than just pressure. I as I say, I watch Brighton, and I think they're they're more solid in the last few weeks. Um. So, I'm i kind of hoping yeah. that you know in the next few there's a few games coming up now where hopefully they should get a few points and uh, maybe get them safe. Yeah.
2: I think um, the, we seem to have quite good stats. I think for when we have done that, when we've got to the byline, cut back. I think we've had more success doing that according to some of the stats I was reading earlier on today. And um, I'm, I'm wondering how Steve Penny circa mid-80s would get on in this team how do you reckon you'd fare
4: um, well I need to be a lot fitter than I was that's for sure because as I say they are all athletes but um, I'm sure that would be, if I was playing now and I was 20 now I probably would be you know you'd be eating better stuff you'd be looking after yourself and all the rest of it but um, no I mean just to play on those pitches to play but uh, I mean I, I I look at Brighton some days, and I think you know there's not they they keep a lot of possession, but there's no there's no real incisiveness and they, and yet like a team can break away against them and look more dangerous but um it's it's hard to maybe it's hard to explain but um I still think that i still think that I still think they'll stay up because of kind of but they've they've just given a few goals away in the last few minutes where they maybe you know, they maybe uh, switch off. There's been a few times like uh, recently, uh, like the Man United game where they give away a penalty seven minutes and the other night against Palace. And then there's a few occasions there where they've given chances away in the last few minutes of the game and now the other teams haven't taken them so mentally um strengthen up a wee bit and I think they'll be, probably be okay.
2: Yeah. And um, in terms of well, the wider scale, who, who's really impressed you across football in general at the moment? Who, who are the real standout players for you in the, in the global?
4: Obviously, Man City are the standout team. They have been for a number of years, just the way they play. Mm. I mean, nobody else can get the ball off them. It's the, just the, the, you know, the way they keep the ball and create chances. Um, but, I mean, they're kind of a one-off. I mean, they're by far the best team. Um so, I think that's uh, I think that's what everybody's trying to achieve. <laughs> Play something like Man City, but I suppose they have all the millions and millions. They can just buy whoever they want. You know, the fan analysis.
2: So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, probably only a couple of other questions for me. I've got one uh, from a friend actually, uh, which I'll come to in a minute. But. Um, the other question for me was going to be about, um, just going back to the Albion, you've, I think I understand you've been over a couple of times to the Amex, haven't you? So what have you made of that? I mean, how good is it? And have oh, you enjoyed your visits?
4: Yeah, it's been great and everybody's been very good. I've, uh, I've met the chairman and I've met uh, Ray Bloom, who used to be a director at the time. And uh, mm. yeah, I've met, I've met a lot of guys, Met. Uh, uh, Gary Chivers, who I used to play with, he he's involved in the uh, in the hospitality side of it. Yeah, and it's always made to feel very welcome. A couple of times have been over. Yeah, so it's been it's been a great experience. Yeah,
2: excellent. It's um yeah it's a world away from what we had before in the recent times beforehand. Anyway, um and it's it's great um it's great you've had a chance to get over and see it, and hopefully quite soon we'll all be able to get into stadiums again. Um the it seems as if the summer will be the time when it'll start to happen. Um, I think really, just if, guys, I don't know if you've got any other questions yourselves. Um, there's one question from a friend of mine, Ian Davis, affectionately known as Ian from Portsmouth. Um, you've sort of answered this, I think, earlier, but I'll put it out there anyway. He said, ask him how he coped with the move from Ballymena to the Bright Lights of Brighton. Liam Brady famously just ate fish and chips when he arrived in London. I mean, were you, was that what you were doing? Were you eating fish and chips, Steve?
4: No, we used to go down to Woody's Wine Bar, and they used to do a lovely lasagna down in in Hove. I don't know if it's still there, but it was a great spot. No, I was I was eating the pasta and stuff then. No, and then as I say, I wasn't digged, so it was always fed quite good. I wasn't on the McDonald's. Oh. Yeah. Hello.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, still here. Yeah. I'm still here. <laughs> you just, you press up if you're still there.
4: Yeah. Just <laughs> lost you. Yeah. No. So it was. Uh, I wasn't on the McDonald's or the. Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, it was kind of reasonably healthy.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Good stuff. Um, and boys, any other questions? I mean, I think we actually, you just mentioned Woody's. I don't know if that's the same place. Brett um, Mendoza, who runs the Caxton Arms in Brighton, he's uh, thankfully getting back to having his pub open soon. He he mentioned on Twitter the other day, um, really good fish and chips from a place called Woody's in Hove, funnily enough. So I wonder if that might be anything to do with the same place.
4: I'm not sure. It used, to be, it used to be an Italian, you see, so it was down. Yeah, yeah probably not then. <laughs> probably not then. No, no, probably not. Fair sure yeah, enough. a fair bit since, since
2: then. Excellent. Well, Steve, we have better wrap it up there. We've taken plenty of your time up, but thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we hope very much you'll be able to join us again at some point in the future when perhaps we're celebrating our... 10th year in the Prem in a row or something like that, or or maybe just in a year or two, um, who knows, so we could uh, celebrate again another year in the top flight. We're glad you're watching out for our games, and um, I'm glad it's, uh, you know, it's it's going well so far. We've just got to make sure we survive, haven't we, now? But um, no, thanks very much for joining us, Steve. It's uh, been a pleasure.
4: Nice to chat to you guys. All the best. Cheers, uh, Steve. You too, Steve. Thanks, thanks
2: to you very start. much for coming. Thank you. Bye, night. Bye. Cheers. See ya. All the best. Cheers. Yes, Steve Penny there. He was excellent value. We really enjoyed his company. If you've enjoyed this podcast or indeed any of the others, we'd really, really love for you to rate us online if you can. Apple or any other platforms which have the option for reviews, please do help us out if you can by reviewing us. Five-star reviews, written reviews, any of that stuff all helps us out and we appreciate it. Also, if you wanted to contact the show, you can do so via Twitter by going to at BrightonRockPod.com you can also email us. It's brightonrockpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, just to mention again that we are now affiliated with Sport Social Podcast Network. If you wanted to look into any of their other content, you can do so by going to www.sport-social.co.uk. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Now on with the final sections. OK, so just very quickly then, it's, uh, it's Andy, Peter and I rejoined together for a very quick summary of, um, well, the, the, the football news. Essentially, we've got the West Brom game coming up at the weekend. We were going to do a full preview podcast. We decided not to do that. So this is just a, a bite-sized feature on that. Um, the game's coming up. It's obviously crucial off the back of the result the other day, uh, which we don't want to mention anymore. Um it could be an open sort of game, couldn't it? Because we've got West Brom desperate for wins. They've, they're 11 points off safety and 15 behind us. So it's not so much about catching us as such. It's about catching whoever's 11 points ahead. There's a big gap. They've got to win. It means it's going to be an open sort of match, which depending on how successful they are coming forward could be a benefit to us. If um, if we can keep them out, we can catch them on the break. Um, Sam Allardyce, one of you was saying, um, said some nice things about us though in the run-up to the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was talking about the fact that um, he felt that if we converted more goals, we, we had a, a clinical striker, we would have been eighth by now. Um, and yes. that he thinks it's going to be one of the most difficult games for them this season. I mean, right. I, I, th- okay. I think you're right in terms of the fact that they've got to come for us because they've, they've got to win. We haven't, but they've got to win really, haven't they? So, I mean, that, hmm. will, will, that will create opportunities for us if we could take them. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The I've bit, played a the few, big uh, is. Yeah. <laughs> We've been biggest, living with all season. There's a big if. But I mean, you know, um, I, I, I think for me though, and I've, and I've said it, I've said it before, I'm a little bit, um, apprehensive about when we're playing teams in my bulliest a bit at the back. Uh, they got a big forward and I was hoping that Webster would be back and he's clearly not going to be back. You know, and so it's, um, yeah. you know, where do we, who do we play in those centre? The three at the centre backs there, and will they be able to hold up to it? And will we be able to cut out the crosses? Um, yeah, because yeah, that's the, I that's Web-
2: the bad news.
3: Web- Web- coming. Mm. Web- yeah, so Webster's a huge blow because, I mean, it, yeah, for those who haven't heard, he's now out till basically international break, which means he'll miss also to Hampton and Newcastle. I mean, Leicester, we probably yeah. wouldn't have got a result, may well not have got a result anyway, but those two games and West Brom are huge games for us. And to lose one of our best yeah. players, I don't understand how we seem to have players who are out for half for an hour and then suddenly end up being out for like two years or something like that. It seems to be <laughs> like. I slightly exaggerate. The way. Yeah, but it's like it was like, oh, he might be available for the next game, and then he's like, oh, he might be available for the next yeah. game, and I was, like, oh no, it's suddenly out for a month now. I don't know if we just don't we're very bad at predicting what injuries are or something. The, the good news yeah. is that Lamptey may be on the bench on Saturday, on Saturday, which
2: is positive. Yeah, I wonder... yeah. I mean, it, it, if he does come on, it'll be as a late sub, I'd imagine. Obviously, it doesn't facilitate any chance of bringing Veltman into the middle and solving part of our centre back issue that way. For this game, maybe it will. In later matches, possibly there is always Kobovnik to come off the um, out off the bench areas and uh, and to yeah. play a role. As a left I mean, wing back,
1: maybe some sort of talk about that for West Brom. I'm not sure that's the right game to bring him in, to be honest with you. No, um, no, no. And you're right about Lampy, but I mean, hopefully, if Lampty gets back, then Veltman could go into the centre back positions. And if we're going to play Dan Burn, we can start playing him again at left wing back rather than
2: mm. left centre half. Yeah, that's it. Not much else um, news wise. I know Sunderland have been taken over by by a a child effectively Uh, (laughs) not quite he's a 23 year old uh, billionaire that's not too bad going is it for a 23 year old he is the son of a I think a four billion dollars worth guy Um, he's also apparently the I think a distant cousin of is it Julia Dreyfus um, who's who's the actress in American Mm -hmm. comedy or something like that yeah so it seems a famous family um, but Anyway, yeah, new owners at Sunderland does sound. And
3: they're currently flying as well in the league. Sunderland—they look like they're on the—they're you know, well into the playoffs now, and they're having a a good spell. Yeah. So.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. The I mean, it's ridiculous.
3: They can... I mean, they—they they, it's such a big club. The, the idea that they're not even in the championship is like, frankly, ludicrous. Yeah.
2: To be so, fair, they have probably landed on a good manager now because Lee Johnson. I do right to a, to a degree, and he's now. I think he's he's turning things around for them. They've had another solid win at the weekend. Yeah, he's, he's
3: certainly done well to to you know take them up. He's certainly good enough to take them up to the Championship. Obviously, at Br- Bristol City wasn't quite good enough to take the next step and to take them up to the Premier League. So whether that, that happens. Yeah. Oh, Bristol City's another one. Nigel Pearson is now their new manager. Bit more news. Oh,
2: right. He's, he's been appointed.
3: Yeah. A, uh, yeah. Right. Nigel Pearson's been appointed at Bristol City while Joey Barton's gone to Bristol Rovers.
2: <laughs> oh, joy. Good old Joey, eh? Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's pretty much it news-wise. We just wanted to get a, this little bit of um, extra stuff online really because um, we were going to have a preview and I'm not sure if we're doing one formally for West Brom now so that that was basically it we were hoping to get Andy a West Brom fan on um, but unless I catch up with him late in the day and tag back to this then uh, that'll be it for the preview and we have just got through a chat with Steve Penny which is going out as an episode um, which was really good fun enjoy that one boys
3: it was great yeah he was fantastic yeah really nice yeah.
2: really nice guy and,
3: going, and, yeah. and you,
1: you can't yeah. help but love a footballer that talks about Brighton in the sense of we you know yes yeah. we oh, won yeah, we true. lost we need to do this you just love them when they do that well, it's very rare yeah. Rare
3: to, yeah especially these days To have someone who quite so much of their career was at you know brighton in a sense i mean i know he was only at the club for eight eight years like that but that was yeah. the vast majority of his career and so he kind of like it's great to yeah as you should say to have yeah. that connection still for him and yeah you know, the ages of, he wouldn't have left given from the town of it if 19, to, choice. 19
2: to 27 wasn't he i think he yeah. was at balamina as a as a youth before that, and, yeah, just three years elsewhere. So very much we, which is great to hear. And um, and his week yeah,
3: when, he, when he signed was amazing, to play for, like, two reserve games, then sign, then play the first team at a weekend. I mean, that's a pretty hectic week. <laughs> yeah, but players yeah, now, these days don't know they've been born, do they?
1: <laughs> I say, now, now he'd be rested for a month, wouldn't he, after yeah. two games in a week,
2: you know? Easy yeah, to the
1: side, get to know how we play. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's it, indeed, and um, yeah, no, it was great, great to have him on, and um, it's hopefully we'll we'll get him along to a Seagulls Over London meeting. We're all members of Seagulls Over London. It'd be good to get him down there, wouldn't it, at some point Uh, soon? He said he'd be out for that if he's over. So um, yeah, all good. Anyway, thank you, boys, and we can now round off in the usual fashion. So Andy, thanks for joining us. Um, Peter, stand or fall,
3: up the Albion.
2: Okay, right. Well, for the very final part of this episode, we are now joined by Andy Corton, who is a West Brom fan with a difference because he's not in the black country or anywhere around that way. In fact, it's decidedly white country at the moment, uh, looking at the snowscape behind you, Andy. Welcome to the show. Tell us where you are, because it looks stunning.
0: Hey, Russ. Yeah, I'm in a place called Amherst, New Hampshire. Which is a place that notorious for hard, tough winters. We get six or seven feet of snow a year. can Ski probably about half an hour from here. I'm a teacher, so I ski after work quite often, which is not a bad, you know, bonus. And luckily, I met someone who's coaching soccer out here. I met somebody within a coaching sort of uh, opportunity from a friend. And uh, blind dates can lead to amazing things. And so I'm living the dream. <laughs>
2: That is amazing. I uh, mean you showed us a quick guided tour with your with your phone over the camera just now to have a look around. It looks stunning. Barns, horses, um, just open b- beautiful blue skies. Um yeah. that's the life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, blessed. <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. But you're not from there? you're from are you from um, Birmingham and, and thereabouts in general originally?
0: Yeah, from Burton on Trent. So uh, you know, it was one of these situations when I was a kid, I'll be with the epicentre of most family support, you know, teams, teams to support a Cluffy. Back in the day, I used to go to Derby, never a fan. My dad sort of made, you know, it was a joy to go. My God, we saw championship years, you know, we saw the damn United years, but neither of my siblings were fans. You know, we used to get to the baseball ground, and look for West Brom scores. And so we we're never convinced the Derby fans. And so when we we're older, we got a train into Birmingham, got some buses to Ber- to, uh, to West Brom, sorry. And there's been a fan yeah. ever since, you know. It's been a been a been a very uh, amazing experience, you know, the good and the bad.
2: Brilliant, superb. So you look out for Burton results as well, I noticed from your Twitter account. Um, and they're they're fighting to stay in the championship at the moment, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah.
0: I but... used, used to play against Burton back in the day as you know, semi pro, and so um, yeah, I used to go to Burton. That was against a bus ride as a kid, a couple of bus rides. That was when they were in Division Seven or Eight. And so, you know, it's been a very, very progressive move. You know, it's never been Championship Division one year. So I'm used to playing the Northern Premier League. And one of your players eventually came from Burton, a guy called Peter Ward.
2: Indeed, a, yeah.
0: Yeah, he was a thrilling, yeah, handsome, I think it was a Forest maybe at first, or Brighton Forest, Forest Brighton. I'm not sure what the actual order was, but he was a heartthrob of a player. You know, black hair, he was silky skilled at that level. Took, took his chance as well, and every Burton fan, you know, every Burton supporter, then the first resort to look for was Brighton, yeah. So, yeah, Excellent. He's part of this,
2: yeah. Well, I think he's from that part of the world originally as well. And, and, and yeah. anyone that's heard him speak will probably recognize a similarity of, of tone and accent, actually, because yeah. yours does sound very similar. In fact, your voice chord sounds quite similar to him as well. So, we might get you on as a, as a fake Peter Ward guest in the future, maybe. Well, uh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I mean, apart from the local team, um, obviously your heart is with West Brom and they've, they've had their ups and downs. At the moment, well, the last, last count, it was an up into the Prem. Um, but you've, um, you've had a, a bit of a struggle this season, haven't you? And it's admittedly not looking great at the moment. What's your take on the season as a whole and also on the sacking of Slavan earlier in the season as well?
0: There's a lot, a lot of uh, content there, Russ. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go back in time. We ended the season really badly in the in in the championship. We came up by default. The COVID, whether the COVID or not, we and we're never the same team under Billich. and we got him accidentally. Brentford losing to Barnsley so gave us that you know ridiculous opportunity to get in there. We didn't strengthen. We stayed with the same squad pretty much, and the players we bought in, Slavin Bilic anyway, not on his decision making. it was by uh, by the director of soccer, a guy or football, sorry, a guy called Dowling who made some of these decisions, and no balance at all. Very similar sort of wideish, skillfulish, not athletic enough midfield players. Not going to keep you up with a weaker defence getting Ivanivinic, Ivanivinic Ivani, Ivani, Ivani is pronounced properly, or uh, well, Branislav, you yeah, know, at 37, was a massive gamble and a huge salary. You know, I loved him at Chelsea, I rated him, you know, he was a player, but he just can't cut at this division. And so it's been a very, very sort of, you know, the occasional, you know, good result Not hasn't been good. Of course, the occasional good result was City away, drawing. And then uh, Bilic learning on the bus on the way back to the ground that he lost his job, so yeah, that was atypical. Mm. You know, not exactly a great situation. West Brom, weirdly, one of our better performances actually was at Brighton. The first game where you were brilliant first half, and whatever reason he shut off second half, and we equalized, and we could have gone either way. So then Big Sam tech's yeah. over. over. Um, I've got to say he's got made some good signings. You know, regardless of you know his, his tactics we're actually going to play you with probably our best 11 of the season, which is, you know, which is bad timing for Brighton, perhaps. Um, (laughs) Again, you know, it's one of these things, it's too late for us this season. And the players we've got, they're, in a sense, it's a shop window for them. No one's kidding themselves. They're staying at West Brom, playing against Lincoln next year. You know, they're there to try and make an impression and stay in the Premier League like Brighton are going to be. So, it's yeah, it's going to be, it's been a you know interesting path, and uh, yeah, we'll see where it all goes.
2: Yeah, having watched, uh, I did still keep in touch with quite a bit of the EFL action, and um, watching you guys last season, I'm, I have to say, it was a team that looked decent, looked good enough to go up, but not in the convincing way. That very few clubs have done. You could look to Wolves, unfortunately, your your rivals, but but they are a good example of a team where you you look at them and you think they're definitely going to stay up. I wasn't even sure about Leeds to be honest, and they've they've done all right. But um, it is such a tough transition to try and establish yourself in that first season, and despite some some decent efforts from some clubs, um, it, it's still hard to avoid in the end, isn't it? And, and it's no coincidence that Sheffield United, who came up the previous year and um and obviously, Fulham and yourselves are struggling at the moment. It is such a tough division um I mean ultimately you 've got a couple of massive games you 've got us, and you've got Newcastle coming up soon as well, haven't you and I suppose if you if you manage to win both those games and other results around those times go your way uh, for both you and others there's an outside chance. but it sounds to me as if you've uh, you 've pretty much resigned yourself to uh to not making it is that Would that be a fair assessment?
0: I think it's a pretty, I think if you're a betting man, you know, I think percent wise, yeah. it's like 98% going down. But I still, I'm an optimist that 2% is still enticing. And it has to start with two wins. That's why it's, it's going to be a pretty exciting game on Saturday because West Brom can't play for a draw. If we're yeah. drawing, it's yeah. pointless. It's absolutely pointless. And Alidas can't argue for that. You know, if we lose 2 1 to a late goal because we're, Committing four well, that's fine. You know, it's, we give it a shot. I think it's a lot worse to get, you know, stick, up, stick at 1-1 one, one or 0-0 nil, nil or whatever and, you know, take that point. Same against Newcastle. Get the two wins. You know, are dragging teams in. you dragging doubt. And that's all, you know, this stage, that's all West Brom have to try and yeah. get other teams' mindsets, including Brighton, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's dragging those teams in. Full have shown how it, how it can be done the gap now, obviously, it's one game between you and them. So, for us, yeah, these are, you know, cliché two cup finals and, you know, two have to win.
2: Yeah, it should make for an interesting game. I mean, for, for us, all, we tend to play better against better teams because they come at you or anyone in your position who's got to come at us, For you know, it, and that could benefit us. However, it depends how well you come at us. Um You've had some players that certainly some of my fellow podders have um have been quite impressed with uh chatting with uh, one of the andies we have on our show um aside from yourself <laughs> um he, he was um he was very complimentary about your new signings in particular and about the adventurousness that you've been adopting for games recently so if you manage to hit us with one of the earlier chances that gets very interesting um but i think it will also benefit us potentially so it should be a good game i agree with you i think uh that's all we can hope for, and um, and see how it pans out. Um, have you got any predictions for the game? Do you reckon this is going to end up in a draw when all said and done, or do you fancy your chances?
0: I fancy chances. I've got to say, yeah. You have to. You know, I can't watch it saying we're going to lose. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. Heads says one-one. Head says we're going to cancel each other out, and you know we're still in that sort of you know ridiculous drop zone. Uh, hmm. But no, my head, my heart, sorry, tells me we're going to get we're going to squeeze a two-one. I think that, uh, you know, you're going to score, uh, no doubt about, I, I don't think, you know, about that. Again, it's a little bit about your ambition as well. You know, if you do take a lead, you're going to push on, try and get a second. But I think hmm. there's enough I think there's enough defensive cover now. You know, we've got better shape. And I think with Diagne, the new, the new signing as a forward, with uh, Pereira, we have a threat now. And, yeah, I, I do fancy us tomorrow. I've got to say.
2: Yeah, it's it's got the potential to go wrong for us. And off the back of the result that I don't wish to mention at all, <laughs> this just happens. Um, that's dragged us back in where we really shouldn't have been. We should, by rights, have been up onto 29 points now and yeah, and sitting relatively pretty. Um, but obviously, that having not got that, and with Fulham improving their results, the pressure's on. Um, and in terms of what we do, I, I'm not sure we would sit back, certainly, for a draw. I think given the results last time out, we need to try and get three points on the board here because we've got Leicester next. Um, You know, we could end up right in the zone, literally, um, if we don't get a result tomorrow, So, um, as we speak. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. We haven't played each other very often at all, have we? We are talking about the head-to-head stats. Um, Well, we've we've rarely played each other. According to what I'm looking at here, we've only had 13 games um, of which... We've won one, which I think was a cut match. You've uh, won four, and there's been eight draws, according to this. I don't know. It's not my usual form of reference here. I had to go to a different form of reference because my internet wasn't working too well. But um, it looks like, um, yeah, a draw is the likely result, according to the history books as well.
0: Yeah, I think in the league, yeah, we're unbeaten. In the cup, as a replay uh, a couple of years ago. We tied at your place, and you beat us at our place. You know, deservedly, I've got to say. My uh, for, for good news for Brighton, I mean, if you need good news, Lamptey's back. And I think he's an absolutely yeah. tremendous player. You know, he was superb. He played as Dean Garner in the first game. And, uh, you know, got two young players of pace, of technical ability. Real test, I've got to say. And Lampsey won it, hands down. And I don't think yeah. Dean Garner's been the same player since. And I would have loved to play without him for you. I think he's a really high-quality player and he yeah, didn't say red card either that red card was bullshit can I use that word? Uh,
2: yeah yeah go ahead <laughs> <Yeah, that's laughs> nothing
0: further than that but no it was it was a wrong decision and I really felt for Brian that day because you know yeah, I know yeah. how good he is in this ridiculous disciplinary system where you get three cards for that I mean madness
2: Yeah, we've got what, what I'm now just calling Brighton yellows which is just these soft yellows that not just soft in terms of what they're given for but the fact they're given at all yeah. Um, particularly when we're playing physical teams. but In general, we just seem to pick them up willy-nilly for, for no good reason, disproportionate number of them. It's, it's really frustrating. Happened again in the last game as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly going to be a difficult one to predict. If you guys do win, as you're hoping will be the case, um, where is this game won and lost in terms of your players? Who, who do we need to look out for, for anyone that doesn't know? You
0: need to look out for Jekuzlu, who is... Uh, a, of, he's the best sort of defensive midfield player we've had since a guy called Claudio Jacob um, you need this you have all the flair in the world but if you're not controlling the zone between the defence and the midfield you're going to lose the game so he's made a massive impression saying that he could be a yellow card waiting to happen he really hits his tackles hard and if you miss times one you know we've got to be careful with that Pereira is a beautiful player on his day and now he has targets around him you know we say with Diagne Gallagher is finding his form again his confidence we need to push on he needs targets he has that now and so yeah it's certainly you know there are players in the squad that uh, that have improved the team no doubt about it and of course Sam Johnston in goals it, it may be his last year because he's out of contract next year he get relegated with cash in because he's had a fantastic season so he has to play well as well so you know it's all yeah. four areas of the pitch I think yeah he's a
2: good, he's a good player isn't he like Gallagher was one of those that was uh, instrumental in getting back into the game, wasn't it? The Amex, I think, from yeah. what I remember. Yeah, and it was. Yeah. Defen- defensively, that's been the one area which um, certainly friends of mine have said looks like the weaker point for you guys. Would you say that's about right overall? I mean, look yeah. at the goal difference, it is. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, the thing is, the goal difference has been completely sort of uh, imbalanced by when we let one, and again. Is, I'm sure Potter's going to say this. If they let one in, you've got to get the second one quick. Because West Brom have got its habit of just switching off. And so we've let one becomes three, becomes four, becomes... You know, I don't think it's going to happen like that. But Brighton put... Uh, sorry, Palace put five pastors at the Hawthorne. So did Leeds. I think those days have gone with the new signings, new shape. But yeah, you know, I think for you, your best form of defence is attack. And to get goals and sort of, to you know, to put doubts in West Brom's minds. So yeah, um, I think the shape of the team's better. So, in a sense, it's the wrong time to players, but still, we can be had in defensive positions. And yeah. July's not playing, so it's going to be O'Shea's centre-half. He's a good player in his true position. Yeah. But, yeah, I think for yeah. you, that's where you should be attacking, yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, our, our biggest weakness is the fact that we're missing now players that have been playing very well for us this year. Lampty you've mentioned, obviously, is, is likely to maybe come off the bench if anything more than uh, I don't think he'll start this game. It'll come too soon for a full 90 or a or or a 60-70 minute stint but um, he might come off the bench but Webster and March have been playing very very well for us and they're both missing uh, Webster for a few weeks, March for the whole season which is in general a a big blow for us so that's the one area where um, I feel probably we don't concede certainly not the two goals against Palace but he's not—he's not in the team. We could concede goals like that again. Let's hope not from a Brian point of view. Yeah. But for the other Albion, you'll be—you'll um, be hoping for the exact opposite, of course. Um, yeah. So we'll—we'll we'll see how it goes. Well, Andy, thanks for joining us for the pod. We'll—we'll um, um, we'll maybe catch up with you again later in the season, possibly. Um, if not, very best of luck after today, and um, <laughs> we'll see how it goes.
0: <laughs> thanks Ross. us. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, good luck. To see you. Take care Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No breaches necessary. Full work prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.